Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. So it doesn't replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Okay? You spoke and we listened. That's not really relevant to anything, but I just thought it was a cool way to open the podcast. But I did put in the Facebook group, what is your highest value ETF? I put it up as a poll and you all ticked it. You put your highest value ETF. You could only select one. And like anything, you know, people read stuff and uh, interpret it in different ways which I'm sorry, I can't help you in some of the cases. Sometimes I'm a bit sloppy with my communication, am I right? But I basically wanted to know if you held three ETFs, one that was $3,000, one that was $3,000, and one that was $4,000, you would tick your $4,000 one because that's your highest value in terms of dollar value. So we're going to talk about the top five ETFs that you, the My Millennial Money community, hold. Now, these top five, they make up 85% of the list. Now, these numbers are approximate only. The analysis of these ETFs, they're worth exactly what you paid for them because I just did a little bit of a, a table on my Google Doc and just wrote down some things of interest that I've found that might be of interest to each of these ETFs. So all that to say, I'm just going to chat about them. I'll probably do this on YouTube as well at some point and do some diagrams, but we're just going to chat today. I'll give you my opinion and I can't stress enough. My opinion is worth exactly what you paid for it. I'm Glenn James and you are listening to My Millennial Money. So grab a cup of tea or whatever you drink. I've been drinking a bit of tea lately. Uh, yeah, I, you know, you know, I've done a bit of traveling and then on the plane after dinner, they say, oh, do you want a tea or coffee? And I'm like, you know what? I will have a black tea with a bit of milk. That would be fantastic. And yeah, I'm just, I've refound my love of tea. So anyway, so number five, the fifth most popular And I'll tell you the percentage of people who use this, who answered the survey. And I'm just looking now. It was answered by, uh, there was about 400 people uh, who answered this. So would you say it's a reasonable size? If you think 400 people is a reasonable size, sure. So the fifth one, 5% of respondents hold this as their highest one. It is the BetaShares Diversified All Growth ETF. The fund manager is BetaShares Capital Limited. And their kind of net assets, 
is $21 billion-ish. So not a small fund. I'll read the fund objective and the fund strategy for each of the funds. The fund objective, DHHF, and that's the ticker, aims to provide low-cost exposure to a diversified portfolio with high growth potential that may suit investors with a very high tolerance for risk. And just remember that, very high. The fund strategy, DHHF, is an all-in-one investment solution constructed using a passive blend of cost-effective ETFs traded on the ASX and other global exchanges. The ETF has 100% allocation to shares and is invested in a blend of large, mid, and small-cap equities from Australia, global, developed, and emerging markets. Offering investors exposure to an all-cap, all-world share portfolio with the potential for high growth over the long term, the ETF provides exposure to approximately 8,000 equity securities listed on over 60 global exchanges, all in one ASX trade. So the DHHF from BetaShares, it is a portfolio in a box. The management style is index. So I'll start with the fee. The fee is 0.19 of percent. And if you don't know what that kind of means, this is how crazy, and this is why uh, index investing is low cost. And I'm just finding my pen so I can scribble. You know, when you lose a pen that you like? Ugh, anyway, um, just to give you an idea, and, and this episode will be just me in front of my computer chatting, so I hope that's okay. Um, 0.19 means for every $10,000 that you put in this ETF, the fee is $19. How wild's that? So if the fund on the website said the fund returned 10%, and I'm just doing this to be round numbers, the actual return is 10.19, but they issue the return after they've taken the fund fees out, okay? So this is a cheap fund. $19 for every $10,000 invested. How cool is that? So under the hood, let's have a look under the hood. Now, I just can't stress enough with this that you need to read the fact sheets before you go throwing money into stuff. And these comments of mine, they're just like throw off comments. Um, They're just, I don't know, just what's sprung up to me. Um, This is a 100% growth fund. So 100%. And if you want a bit of a, I've just got a couple of things in front of me. If you do have a copy of my book and you want to really understand growth and investing, you need to start on chapter five, which is page 137 of my book. And we really dig into like growth versus defensive and all that. So I'm just kind of, I'm not going to slow down and talk too much about that in this little chat, but you just really need to understand that this is 100% growth. And they even say this may suit investors with a very high tolerance for risk. So when am I recording this? I'm recording this on the 11th of October, 2022. It's 4.11 p.m. at the moment. Uh, This may have got a bit of a spanking with the recent volatility that's been happening around the world. 
So under the hood, the asset allocation, well, let's start, like it is a portfolio in a box and they've said that they use ETFs within. So they put basically 38% of this money into the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund ETF shares. And that code is VTI and that's the American ticker, but the Australian ticker is VTS. Now, if you invest in VTS in Australia, it's not domiciled here. So that means each um, year, you've just got to be mindful that there will be a W, what do they call it? W8, bloody, W8 Ben form. So the long and the short of it is uh, the USA uh, IRS, Internal Revenue Service, they want to know uh, the certificate of foreign status status of the beneficial owner for the investment. Now, I do not have any investments that are not domiciled in Australia because I can't be bothered with more paperwork. It's as simple as that. If you don't fill out that form, they will withhold the highest amount of tax. So 38% round numbers, they're allocating to the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund. So that fund is basically, it's a Vanguard fund. And that's weird, right? Beta shares are just buying Vanguard um, as a fund underneath. And that is a weighted uh, holding of every share in the US market, effectively. 36% and some change is invested into the A200 ticker and that's the beta shares Australian 200 ETF. And full disclosure, because I think disclosure is important, I actually own uh, this ETF in my personal investment account in my trust. So I get Australian exposure via A200 uh, myself. I don't own the DHHF. They've also got 19% in the SPDR, which is a fund manager. I don't know what that, SPDR, what does that stand for again? <sighs> Maybe, oh yeah, it's the State Street Global Advisors Fund. I don't, I don't know, it probably doesn't really matter where they've got the SPDR. Um, it's, yeah. Either way, State Street's a huge investment fund. And uh, here, beta shares are just basically throwing 20% in an ETF uh, and the ticker is SPDW. So what you can do under the hood, you can go, You can. I'm just Googling now, SPDW ETF. And I can see the ETF. So if I wanted to, I could just invest directly into this State Street fund. So the thing with this fund, it's an ex-US fund. So they're using it to get exposure to the rest of the world because the American exposure is through the VTI ticker, which is the American ticker, and the Australian ticker of that is VTS. And then what they've done is just under 7%. They've put into the SPI Portfolio Emerging Markets ETF, which the code is SPEM. So it is a portfolio in a box. So I'm going to go through uh, some of the pros and cons and when you might use it. And I'll do that for each fund. 
So the pros of this, it really is a portfolio in a box. It's a, we call it a fund of funds. And you rock up with your $1,000 and they will automatically put that money across these four ETFs. And I, I didn't add that the allocation by countries, 39.5% USA, 36 Australia. So it's predominantly, predominantly uh, US and Australian. And there's some uh, Japanese, 4%, China, 2%, United Kingdom, 2%. And it, it's spread mainly the top three kind of asset allocation in industry. He's just under 20% in financials, 13% in information technology, and 11% in healthcare. Uh, so yeah, so the pros, it really is a portfolio in a box. It's a fund to fund. This stuff is good for beginners. So if you just want to start investing, like 5% of the respondents have done, they've just said, hey, I want high growth. I've read chapter five of Glenn's book and I understand asset allocation. I want high growth. Uh, another pro, which... You know, some of this stuff, it doesn't get talked about much, but BetaShares, it's an Australian company and you might want to just support Australian fund managers. Now, you just need to know as well that, yes, it's an Australian company, so the fees are going to that company, but they are using obviously other fund managers under the hood like State Street and Vanguard. The cons that I can see... There's no defensive portions to this. So if you do want a portfolio in a box, sorry, just having a sip of my tea, uh, you need to know that you do not have any defensive allocation in this fund. So you may want to, I don't know, have your own ETF on the side that is defensive, like a fixed interest ETF or something like that you might want to just go stuff it. I'm all in baby. Or you might just keep cash heavy in your own name or against your offset account. I'm a little bit more cash heavy. If you want to see your portfolio as a whole, and this is the crazy thing, right? With our investing, you could have a hundred thousand dollars invested in the DHHF. And you can think I've got a hundred percent growth. And you could also have $100,000, if you're lucky enough, to have in your mortgage offset account, right? So technically speaking, yes, your portfolio is 100% growth. But if we step back and look at our assets and forget super and the property, technically, if we add that $100,000 of cash on your offset, $100,000 in the DHHF, you've you've got a 50-50 portfolio. So you can kind of look at it a couple of ways there. Uh, that's a bit of a choose your own adventure. The thing, and I'm I'm actually not talking about returns uh, with this because they really don't matter. They come secondary after your strategy. And this is really just a profile. You can look at returns in your own time, guys. I'm like the teacher. This is my time. We will do work on my time. If you want to talk now, that's fine. You can stay back. But otherwise, lunchtime is for chatting, guys. I'm serious. Uh, you can look at um, ETFs in your own name, uh, the performance of them. Um, it is a newer fund. So we don't have the long track record to see how it goes against benchmarks over the long term, how it goes against um, other funds. Uh, because the inception was the 15th of December 2020, 
Now, this is no reflection on the fund manager. They've been around a long time, like 13 years, but it's just one of those things, a consideration uh, that you might want to have a look at. And every fund's got to start at some point, um, but you might be of the view that I only want to invest in funds that have been around at least five years or something like that. It's really up to you. Just finally, when might you use DHHF? Well, I honestly think straightforward as this. If you want a portfolio that has Australian and international exposure, that is 100% growth. Simple as that. That's all. If you want a portfolio that 100% growth, an ETF, it's low cost, $19 a trade, sorry, uh, $19 per $10,000. So it is bloody cheap. So there you go. Number five is done. Let's have a look at number four here. Oh, it's going to be a long episode. I'll try and keep it fast. All righty then. Number four, 6% of respondents use this fund. The fund manager is BlackRock. The ticker is IVV. And the fund is iShares S&P 500 ETF. Now, I will just say that the net assets of BlackRock is $24 billion. And you might think, how's that possible? BlackRock's this international company. The net assets of BetaShares is $21 billion. This is the $21 billion of uh, BlackRock Australia. Um, so if I Google um, BlackRock Fum, let's have a look at what comes up here. Um, BlackRock, it's going to be a crap load. BlackRock funds under management. Yeah, like BlackRock have about eight and a half trillion of US um, in funds under management. So the Australia portion is 21 billion. So, you know, BlackRock straight up ain't their first rodeo. Uh, Full disclosure, I actually own this portfolio myself. I actually really like this one. The objective of the fund and the objectives here, and if I read the strategy and the objective, they're from the fact sheet or the funds website. The investment objective of the fund aims to provide investors with the performance of the S&P 500 index before fees and expenses. The index is designed to measure the performance of large cap US equities. So the biggest 500 companies in America, if you want exposure to them only, this is your baby. This is a little gal right here. Oh boy, whatever. Probably get cancelled for saying that, but this is it. This is your little sweet thang. If your sweet thang's a boy, awesome. If your sweet thang's a girl, awesome. The management style is index. Now, this is crazy. So if we have a look at the portfolio in a box with beta shares, the fee was 0.19%. The fee for this fund is 0.04% or $4 per $10,000 invested. So that's so cheap. I like, and this is the thing that I, 
you know, struggle with, right? I love the fact, like I love Microsoft as a company. I like Apple. I love Microsoft, but I like Apple. I want to own direct shares in Apple and Microsoft. I want to own direct shares in Tesla. I want to own direct shares in Google. I want to because I love investing. But the thing is, I don't have any direct shares. I get exposure from ETFs like this. So if we look under the hood of the IVV fund, it is a 100% growth fund. No defensive assets in here. The top, what are we? The top 10 holdings, Apple, about 7%, Microsoft, 5.5%, Amazon, 3.3%, Tesla, 2.5%, Google, 1.8%, and there's another Google class of shares, 1.7%, Berkshire Hathaway, 1.5%, United Healthcare, Johnson & Johnson, Exxon Mobile. Uh, so I, I have to resolve to myself every time I get the heebie-jeebies and want to buy direct shares in America and like Microsoft because I've just, I, I use PCs uh, in the main. Like I've got a Surface laptop. I love it. We use PC for all our podcast editing. I've just purchased iRacing because I'm going to buy another PC and buy a simulator so I can set up in the studio here and do car racing like the bogan that I am. So I like every time I love Microsoft, love PC. Every time I'm like, I want to buy Microsoft shares, i got to think, no, Glenn, you've got direct exposure here. And well, indirect exposure rather. So that's what I do. I just keep doubling down on IVV. Now, this is, and this, I guess I'll move to the pros, but 26.5% of this portfolio is information technology. About 15% is healthcare. About 12% is consumer discretionary. And about 11% is financials. It's so funny, like the Australian, and we can compare it when we get to it, but like the, the world is like a big digital platform. So of course, most of the big tech companies are American. So that's why, you know, IT is like 26%, where like you look at an Australian portfolio, it's basically banks and mines, banks and BHP, joking. It's got a bit more, but not much. So the pros of IVV, I believe you really do have exposure to the top companies in the world. Absolutely. Now, the good thing about this, right, you might get some exposure to, I'll just make it like the UK via this fund because in the UK and many other countries, guess what? UK use Apple, UK use Microsoft, UK use Amazon, UK use Tesla, UK use Google. So you can get world exposure by just buying the IVV because sure, it's listed on the American exchange, but these companies serve parts of the world. Well, they serve all over the world, everywhere. Another pro, uh, another pro is it's an extreme low cost fund. $4 for every 10,000 I invest? Shut up. Let's round that down to zero, baby. It's basically free to invest in this fund. And you might think, how do these fund managers make money? Well, 
it's all computer generated, all the balancing. So every quarter or so, they'll look at what the weighting is of the top S&P 500 and they'll make a trade and rejig the portfolio. So it's weighted the same. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a, a big fan. A con would be you've got no, I guess, direct exposure to other parts of the world. So if you wanted, like we read on the DHHF, you know, they've got securities listed on over 60 global exchanges. Like this is all on the one exchange. If you're going down to splitting hairs, one of the cons is there's no exposure to other parts of the world. And the IVV fund, that's unhedged. So there's no protection with currency, but I think that's kind of a, a diversity a diversification thing anyway, which I'm comfortable with. So when you might use IVV, um, you might use it as a DIY portfolio with uh, VAS, which is the Vanguard Australian Share Fund. So you might say, well, I want to, I don't want to do the DHHF, but I might buy 50% of IVV and I might buy 50% of VAS and I've got my DOI portfolio done. You might use uh, VEU and, you know, complement that as well, which is the Vanguard All World X US Shares Fund. So you might say, okay, well, I'll do IVV, I'll do VEU and I'll do VAS and I own three ETFs and I'm getting a, a bit of bit of the action everywhere. You'll have to rebalance the portfolio yourself. You'll have to set your own asset allocation. And how do you know what asset allocation to choose? I don't know. That's why people get a portfolio in a box, isn't it? So that's number four. All right, we're doing the countdown. Number three, what are we here? 9% of people use this fund. Ooh, what could it be? Oh my God. It is number three. The ticker is VGS. The Vanguard MCI, MSCI Index International Shares ETF. The MSCI World is a market cap is a market cap weighted. I'm not editing this podcast if you can't tell. Is a Mar- Nathan's on holidays this week, and I wanted to get this out while it's hot. Is a market cap weighted stock market index of 1,546 companies throughout the world. It's maintained by MSCI, formerly Morgan Stanley Capital International and is used as a common benchmark for world or global stock funds, intended to represent a broad cross-section of global markets. So you you will see the MSCI kind of thing as a benchmark when you're comparing different funds. And basically Vanguard have said, we'll invest to match this Morgan Stanley Index or the formerly Morgan Stanley Capital International MSCI Index, and we'll adjust our fund every three months to match that international index. Now, I don't know if I mentioned it, but 9% of you freaks, I don't know why you freaks, but whatever, 9% of you own this fund. The objective, Vanguard MSCI Index International Shares ETF seeks to track the return 
of the MSCI world. And this is an important thing. This fund though is X Australia. X Australia with net dividends reinvested in Australian dollars index. Uh, don't know if this makes sense, but whatever. Before taking into account fees, expenses and tax. Fund overview. The ETF provides exposure to many of the world's largest companies listed in major developed countries. It offers low cost access to a broadly diversified range of securities that allows investors to participate in the long-term growth growth potential of the international economies outside of Australia. It's like reading my audiobook. The ETF is, is exposed to the fluctuating values of foreign currencies, so it's not hedged. And there will be, oh, there we go. And there will be not any hedging of foreign currencies to the Australian dollar. The management style is index. So basically, if you want to invest in the world, throw your hat in the ring, get a bit of the world action, a bit of a side piece of the world, uh, you can do it with this fund because it won't include any Australian equities. The fee is 0.18% or $18 per $18 per $10,000. So all this crap's cheap, right? If you've got a problem with $20 per $10,000, you may have bigger problems. I know that's offensive, but whatever. Like this stuff is not expensive. Under the hood, it's 100% growth. So like we talked about, 100% growth. 22% uh, is information technology. And as you can see, you know, the IVV is 26 and a half-ish percent IT, where this one's 22% because it's got more of the world in it. And 13% is healthcare, 12.9% financials, 14% discretionary, consumer discretionary, 10% industrials. And let's just have a look. Some of the holdings, the top holdings is Apple, at about 5%, Microsoft is 3%. So if we compare it to the concentrated IVV, Apple is 7%, whereas Microsoft's 5%, and then we've got 5% for Apple here, 3% for Microsoft, and Amazon is 2%, where Amazon in the other IVV is 3.3%. And that's why for me, I've taken the view, I'd rather just double down on IVV and get more of the, you know, the big boys and gals as opposed to um, spreading it across the world anyway. And in fact, maybe I can do that. Maybe I can real time, see if I can do a comparison of these two funds. And I'll, I'll try and explain the line. So I'm gonna search IVV and I'm going to go full screen here. Yahoo Finance is a really quick way. Then I hit comparison and then let's go VGS. Um, we'll do that in red because it's Van Gizel. Yeah, so, th and this is interesting. Just in terms of the share price, um, yeah, going up to COVID, VGFs was stronger but then coming out of COVID, IVV was stronger. And I'd imagine that's because of that huge tech run that we've had. Um, yeah, wow. And oh, well, even actually looking, if I really zoom out to 2016, um, IVV has spanked this all day long. So yeah, so for me, I, I don't use this fund because I'd rather just IVV, it's cheaper. 
the returns are a little bit stronger, um, but that's just a personal preference. It's it's not saying don't use it. You can use whatever you want. Uh, and 9% of you do use this VGS fund. Um, so the pros of it, it is an international equities fund in a box. There's a long-term uh, of track records of returns because you know Vanguard's been around a million years and has the fund. Uh, it's unhedged. So that I think that's a pro in my style of investing. The cons, and this might be a con for one, a pro for other, but it's 70% heavy to USA. So you really are, because of most of the world's economy and companies are coming out of the US. So it's 70% heavy to the USA and 74% to North America. So it'd be a Canada in there, I'd imagine. So when might you use it? You're happy to just have one ETF for international exposure, but you understand a high proportion is North America. So you might say, look, I'm going to use VGS for my world exposure. I'm going to use VAS for my Australian or uh, A200 for my Australian for my Australian exposure. And I'm happy with two ETFs of and my own growth portfolio. So that's all Gucci, baby. All right, we'll take a quick break and I'll come back and we'll round out the uh, the last two. But just as a recap, number five on the list was BetaShares DHHF ETF. 5% of you respondents hold that. Number four, 6% of respondents hold the IVV, iShares S&P 500 ETF. Um, 9% hold VGS, which is the Vanguard MCIS International Index X Australia Fund. We'll be right back after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, number two. Can you guess what it is? I reckon you might be able to. 20% of you, 20% of you freaks use this fund. It is a fund with a ticker called, well, the ticker is VAS. 
the fund manager is Van Gizel, Vanguard. All right. So that's our second Vanguard fund. So we've had beta shares, we've had BlackRock, we've had Vanguard, and now another Vanguard fund. So VAS, investment objectives, or objective rather. Vanguard Australian Shares Index ETF seeks to track the return of the S&P slash ASX 300 index before taking into account fees, expenses, and tax. The fund overview, the ETF provides a low-cost, broadly diversified exposure to Australian companies and promotes trusts listed on the Australian Securities Exchange, or the ASX. It also provides, it also offers potential long-term capital along with dividend income and franking credits. Now, so this tracks, yeah, the top 300 weighted um, companies on the ASX and the fee is a whopping 0.1% or a whopping $10 per $10,000 invested. So it's cheap. Uh, of course, the investment style is index under the hood. So if you, if you haven't picked up already, the weighted basically means, and for those who want to recap on this, I'll tell you what page it's on. Um, just chat among yourselves. Because there was a, an example that I did in my book. I'll, I'll read from it as well. And um, you can have a look at it. Gosh. Okay. Indexes are usually weighted. Imagine you had a $10,000 split between two banks as follows. And this is on page 164. $7,000 in CBA and $30,000 in ANZ. So that means the weighting of this portfolio, if I had $7,000 in CBA and $3,000 in ANZ, the weighting of this portfolio is 70% weighted to CBA and 30% weighted to ANZ. Uh, so there you have it. Probably not even worth me saying that, but whatever, I did. So I'm just having a look. Where are we? Vanguard. So the top funds are basically BHP at around just under 10%. They dig up crap. Uh, it's 100% growth as well under the hood. So 100% of growth um, exposure. Uh, just under 8% is CBA, Commonwealth Bank of Australia. They happen to be a bank apparently. CSL do 6.64, Commonwealth something. Does anyone always forget uh, Commonwealth Serum Laboratories or something? It's that world. Where is it? That word, sorry. I mean, they've changed the name to CSL, but I just want to... Commonwealth. I'm just going straight to Wikipedia. Stuff you doing it. Commonwealth Serum Laboratories. Was founded in 1916. There you go. Um, and the definition of serum, isn't it like a thing? An amber-coloured liquid, protein-rich, which separates out when blood coagulates. Well, there you go. So they obviously 
do blood and obviously had a bit of a boom through COVID. Uh, NAB's about 4.5%. Westpac's about 35 ANZ's about 3 So, yeah, as I said before, like almost just under 28%, 29, 27.9% is financials. 23% is materials. So for every dollar that you put in VAS, 30 cents of that is going to a bank. 23% is going to materials. So like your BHPs and your Rios. So Australia is heavy in banks and mines, miners. I will say as well, I, I actually, um, a lot of the pro, a lot of the cons for all these funds, and this isn't to say all mining is unethical because you, you actually need copper to build shat and you need iron ore to build windmills and you need um, lithium to build your little Tesla and all that stuff. But one of the cons of index investing as a whole is you invest in the index that the fund manager chooses. And broadly speaking, if you invest in an index that's the international company, well, there's going to be companies in that index that you don't align with. So you sometimes have to pay more for an ethical index or an ethical active fund. So that's just a, a comment there. So the pros of this fund, VAS, I got a bit sidetracked there. I'm probably outstaying my welcome. It's low cost, you know, $10 for every $10,000 that you invest. Shut up. You know what I mean? It's simple to understand. I'm literally investing in the top 300 companies in Australia. That's it. That's all I'm doing. I'm putting money into the Australian market, 300 Aussie companies that I'll own a portion indirectly of each company. The cons... I mean, I'm really clutching at straws here, but it's only the Australian market, right? So if you want to, if you want exposure to Google or Apple or Microsoft, don't buy this fund, kids. You're not getting that exposure. If you want some exposure, go and drop your clothes in front of the mirror. There you go. Have some exposure. Another con is you only get, of the Australian market, you're only getting the top 300 companies. So if you want some sex and violence and some micro cap or small cap companies, this is not your fund. So when might you use it? You might use it when you are getting started with your first investment. And I think this is an important one to understand because a lot of you have used this to get started. And that is, I'm comfortable just buying Australian equities. And I do it through VAS. I completely understand what's happening. You see the news and they say, oh, the ASX fell 2% today. Guess what? Tomorrow you look at your portfolio, it's going to be 2% less. ASX rose 2% today on the news. Guess what? You're going to look at your portfolio, it's going to do the same. So I don't personally own this fund. I own the A200, which is the beta shares fund 
that does the top 200 equities. And the difference in returns is basically bugger all because the, you know, from 201 to 300, it doesn't move the needle that much because of the weighting just gets so small. Um, I don't know what I'm saying, but yeah, I don't own this fund, but I own the other one. It's cheaper. I mean, it's pretty vanilla. I, you know, you get what's on the box. Um, and it's fine to own. And if you did start with this and then later on wanted to diversify and do other stuff, you don't have to worry about selling it or whatever. You can just keep it and, you know, build your portfolio and pivot away from it. It's all good. When might you use it? You're getting started with your first investment. Uh, you might use it if it's a DOI portfolio, like we've talked about. You might use the um, the Vanguard MCIS. You might use VAS or A200. You might use this fund with IVV. Um, so you're really just using it to, you know, make your own portfolio. Or the same reason that kind of I've used it in the part of the DIY portfolio as in the exposure to the A200 that I've used, but in the VAS scenario, this one, you just want to buy Australian shares. Simple, done. And realistically, it, it doesn't actually, when you're getting to the point of splitting hairs between the A200 and the VAS, it doesn't matter. If you like the track record of Vanguard and the story, because they've been around for a million years and all that, well, buy VAS. If you just want the cheapest, buy A200. But you know it's slightly different. And yeah, it really just doesn't matter. And all this stuff is just to learn and understand a little bit more about ETFs. So VAS, 20% of you freaks and geeks are in VAS. All right, drum roll. I'm just having a drink. All right, 44% of you, that's 4-4, four, four. own this fund. The ticker is, you can probably guess, can't you? You really can. VDHG, the Vanguard Diversified High Growth Fund ETF. The investment objective, Vanguard Diversified High Growth Index ETF seeks to track the weighted average return of the various indices of the underlying funds in which it invests. And all these index objectives are pretty much like to track the index. In proportion to the strategic asset allocation before taking into account fees, expenses and tax. And I'll just underline that strategic asset allocation because I'll talk about that in a moment. The fund overview, the ETF provides low-cost access to a range of sector funds offering broad diversification across multiple asset classes. The high-growth ETF invests mainly into growth assets and is designed for investors with a high tolerance for risk who are seeking long-term capital growth. So remember that high tolerance for risk, ruff, 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 ruff. The ETF targets a 10% allocation to income assets or defensive assets and a 90% allocation to growth assets. So the fee for the VDHG ETF is 0.27% or 
or $27 per $10,000. Now, some people will be like, I don't use VDHG because it's too expensive. I can build my own portfolio for less, for half the price or less. And I would say, cool, cool story. If you think $27 in investment fees is expensive for $10,000, I can't help you. You get what you pay for. You've chosen to do your own strategic asset allocation, haven't you? Because you have gone, I think I'll do 50% Australia. I think I'll do 30% America. I think I'll do whatever, 50, 60, 20% something else. So you've worked out your own strategic asset allocation. The question is, for that fee saving of doing your own strategic asset allocation, you've got to pay for brokerage every time you rebalance. This one does it automatically. You've got to work out when are you rebalancing. You've got to be sure that, and I'm being very sarcastic and dramatic here because ultimately I don't actually care what anyone does, just get invested and be encouraged and all that. You've got to, be make, you've got to make sure that you're smart enough with your SAA to outperform this portfolio in a box or DHHF. You might be able to, I don't know. I personally own VDHG in uh, one of my uh, investment bonds. I've got, uh, I've got four investment bonds. I've got one for each kid. I don't have kids that I know of, but my niece and two nephews and then I've got my own one that I just, every month money goes into there. And I chose it um, because it's a portfolio in a box, basically. So this management style is index. And what Vanguard have done is they've chosen, oh, far out. I, in my haste to do this thing, I haven't done an under the hood thing, but it's basically 90% growth and 10% defensive. Now, Vanguard, what they've done is they've invested, this is a, an, an ETF, a fund of funds. So VDHG ETF fact sheet. Um, let's have a look here, downloading a PDF. Um, it invests in, so the fund invests the target strategic asset allocation is the Australian Vanguard Australian Shares Index Fund. So the VAS that 20% of you people own, there's 36% in that. Uh, Vanguard International Shares Index, 26.5% uh, in that. Now the difference with this portfolio, Vanguard International Shares Index Fund of 16%, they've got a hedged portion against the Australian dollar. So it caters for any fluctuations in currency. So basically, 20, uh, yeah, there's about 42% in international equities with 16 being defensive. They've got 6.5% in the Vanguard International Small Companies Index Fund. They've got 5% in the Vanguard Emerging Markets Share Index Fund. And then they've got 7% um, in the Global Aggregate Bond Index Fund, which is heads hedged, sorry. And we, we like uh, hedging bonds. And then they've got uh, 3% in the Vanguard Australian Fixed Interest 
index fund. So Vanguard, it is a portfolio in the box. Um, if you want to have a look as well on page, where are we? Do, do, I actually use the three Vanguard uh, funds as an example in my book. Where are we? Do, 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 do. This is what happens when you don't prepare. People say to me like, oh, how long do you take to prepare a podcast? I'm like, oh, not that much to be honest. Anyway, in pay in chapter um, six, I compare three Vanguard funds. I compare the Vanguard Diversified Balanced Fund, which is 50-50. I compare the Vanguard Diversified, here we go, uh, Growth Fund, which is... 70 30 and then this one here which is the vanguard uh diversified high growth which is 90 10 and you can really just see the differences of the share price through the the covid spike um i'll often talk more on the podcast about the vanguard diversified balance fund which isn't as popular online vdgr which is a 70 percent uh, growth and 30 percent defensive because if someone blindly goes, oh, Glenn was talking about that, I'm going to do that. Well, at least they're not going into a, a very high growth fund. Um, but yeah, so it's it's a under the hood. Sorry, I got sidetracked there. It's a portfolio in a box, basically, from Vanguard. A portion of the um, international exposure is hedged. Uh, some of the pros, um, they've actually got science behind the strategic asset allocation. So they know this thing will do what it's on the box if left for long enough. It's a set and forget. So like for me, I've got it with GenLife, the um, investment bond, set and forget, because it was, I think at the time when I looked at it, and I haven't looked at the menu for a while and it really doesn't matter because I'm happy with it, but I didn't want to build my own portfolio. I wanted a set and forget blended portfolio for me and the kids that I can just every month put money into and set and forget. So, um, and that's kind of when you might use it. Uh, and I've written here platforms with limited options. Uh, it's great for beginners. It really is. Or seasoned investors. Uh, it rebalances automatically. Like every three months they'll rebalance it. Uh, it can be used by the Vanguard personal investor and they'll do all the, um, reporting for you. Um, the cons, it, again, it, this stuff is riskier than what most people think. And that's why when I talk about Vanguard more generally, I, I really talk about the uh, VDGR, which is the Vanguard Diversified Growth Fund, not the Vanguard Diversified High Growth Fund. But obviously you guys are thirsty for the risk. Um, a con, maybe, um, there's a, you know, 16% is hedged. Um, another con, there isn't much exposure to infrastructure or micro caps or gold, if you want that chat in your portfolio. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've had clients that just pump this and I'm like, yeah, sweet, all gooch. Uh, but yeah, it is 0.27%, which seems expensive when we're comparing it to IVV at 0.04. 
it is expensive when we're comparing it to um, the, uh, sorry, the DHHF at 0.19. And I'd imagine it's twofold. Um, one is the hedging costs, possibly, of the uh, portfolio. So there's 16% uh, of the index fund hedged, 7% of the bond fund. There could be some costs there for hedging. Uh, they want to charge for their IP, uh, which is their SAEA, Strategic Asset Allocation. Uh, there could be a thing where that's just, they've had no real competition forever. So that's the cost. It's still on balance, low cost, but yeah. And that's the trade-off. Um, you know, DHHF and like full disclosure, like you know that we've done work with Vanguard and they've paid to be a sponsor on the show and, you know, I, I love money like the next person. Uh, but I still personally like VDHG more than beta shares. And the only reason why is, and this is just me personally, the fund has had a longer track record. It's been around more than, you know, 10 minutes. And that's not a reflection of uh, beta shares as a fund manager. This is just Glenn James's personal constitution. I like things that have been around for a long time. Uh, so that's number one. And number two, because of the allocation to the defensive assets. And, and beta shares may have set there's up without defensive. So there is a key difference that it's a 100% growth portfolio. Actually, let's just have a look. Um, I'm going to do uh, DHHF. Let's just have a look at the share price. When you're doing, and I, I don't have it um, handy, a lot of the time people look at share prices, the index charts, and they're like, oh, they did bad. But you got to remember, the share price chart doesn't show you um, it does not show you the income that the portfolio generates from dividends, right? VDHG. Um, we'll do Vanguard in red. Yeah, I mean, looking like the share price, the um, DHHF, I mean, you're splitting hairs, really. It's a little bit more. Um, like coming out of COVID, they basically both did the same. Actually, there might even be a, a chart in the book where I've compared a few of them. Um, but DHHF, the share prices performed better. And that's probably just because of the growth in the portfolio. Like remember, there's 10% in the VDHG that is defensive and they're just, they're actually different funds. So can you compare them? Probably not because they're different funds. Will I? Yeah, I'll try anything. Oh, I forgot to say Vanguard have about 38 billion in FUM in Australia. And I think um, Vanguard... International FUM, Vanguard FUM, uh, Vanguard. Let's look on a wiki. 
Vanguard Group. Yeah, it's like you know, it's like bloody eight trillion. So like this thing, they're big mammoths, you know, um, BlackRock and Vanguard. Anyway, um, there's really nothing negative to say about any of these funds that I've talked about. It's like. It's like, you know, you've just pulled up in my driveway with a Corolla and a Land Cruiser and go, well, what's the, which one should I choose? What's the negatives of both? Well, they're just different. You might want a Land Cruiser to go across Australia. You're not taking the Corolla across Australia, are you? I'd probably try, but you know what I mean? So, we can't really do direct comparisons with all this stuff. We just have to know a little bit about the makeup of these funds. So let's recap number five, and then I'm going to go and upload this for Wednesday morning as a bonus. It's so funny. I was just like, I need a couple of weeks off podcasting. I'm over it. And then um, I hope you're enjoying the Fincon episodes. They've been pretty cool. And then today I was like, I'm bored. I want to do this. Uh, number five, beta shares, DHHS, 5% of you. Number four, 6% of you used the iShares S&P 500 fund, IVV. Number three, 9% of you used the Vanguard VGS, which is the MSCI Index International Shares ETF. Number two, Vanguard Australian Shares Index, 20% of you, VAS and numero unero, whatever it is, number one, VDHG, Vanguard Diversified High Growth Fund. These comments, these opinions, all this crap, it is general advice only. And if I'm wrong, all good. Do what you want. See you later. Bye. Is that responsible? Whatever. This is a podcast. Entertainment. Okay, bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 